Hi there, my name's Dan. Just before Anouk does the second reading, which is from Luke, I just want to tell a quick story. Um, because we've been in this series of parables uh, in Luke, and what Jesus is doing with parables is he's taking something quite familiar, a familiar kind of idea or a familiar story, and, and using that to make a point. Um, so, for example, we've had, you know, the, the parable of the sowers, you know that one, when there's the farmer, he's throwing the seed around the place, and he does something, and he makes a point through it. And it's not a point about farming. Uh, it's a point about the word of God. Um, so in this parable we're about to read, it's a familiar story which he's using to make a point that he wants to make. Problem, it's not familiar to us. The story's not at all familiar. So I'm going to tell the story quickly uh, that I think it's referring to, I'm quite confident it's referring to, so that we understand that, what the parable's doing. Okay, so familiar story happened just after Jesus was born. A couple of years after Jesus was born, the king, Herod the Great, died. Great national mourning, No. No one cared because he was a nutter. He was like a paranoid psychopath who'd kill people who threatened him, like baby Jesus, tried to kill baby Jesus because he was going to be a king. Right, so Herod the Great dies. But it seemed like his son, Herod Archelaus, was going to become the new king. Uh, And the people didn't really want that because, you see, nuts travels down the genes, you know. This guy was going to, yeah, okay. Um, So... What had to happen, because Israel were not uh, a sovereign nation, they weren't in charge, they were actually under Rome, so what Herod Archelaus had to do was travel off to Rome and Caesar Augustus had to say, yes, you can be the king of Israel, off you go. So he went off to Rome to do that, but a bunch of of the Jews, 50 of them, went after him. They went across to Rome and said to, to Caesar, we don't want him to be king. But he became the ruler of Israel, was sent back, um, and yes, like his dad, he was pretty nuts. One occasion he killed 3,000 Pharisees who opposed him becoming king. So that's the story of Herod Archelaus. Now Anup is going to read from Luke 19, beginning at verse 11. Okay, so that's at page 966. The parable of the ten miners. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then return. He called 10 of his slaves, gave them 10 miners and told them, engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We don't want this man to rule over us. At his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those slaves he had given the money to so he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, Master, your miner has earned ten more miners. Well done, good slave, he told him, because you have been faithful in a very small matter. Have authority over ten towns. The second came and said, Master, your miner has made five miners. So he said to him, You will be over five towns. And another came and said, Master, here is your miner. I have kept it hidden away in a cloth because I was afraid of you, for you're a tough man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. He told him, I will judge you by what you have said, you evil slave. If you knew I was a tough man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, 
why didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to, the, to those standing there, take the miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. But they said to him, Master, he has ten miners. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. This is the word of the Lord. God. Sometimes there's kind of a whisper, thanks be to God, I think. Slaughter them? Let's pray, ask God for his help in this passage. Um, God, we do want to thank you so much for your word, uh, that you're a speaking God. Um, but Lord, sometimes your word's really hard to understand, and so we pray, please, you'd give us um, understanding as just to what's going on here, and then give us hearts to respond, um, to actually be changed by what you would say to us tonight through your word. We pray that we wouldn't, I just pray that we would we'd think carefully about ourselves um, and our assumptions in life. Amen. Because assumptions are very dangerous things, aren't they? Um, assumptions are the mother of all kinds of mistakes. Um, for example, um, I thought, well, I assumed, I assumed when you book a removalist and you pay a deposit, they'll turn up. It's not so. It's not so. And I thought that if I, uh, I assumed, I should say, I assumed that I am as strong as I was last time I moved my own house. I'm not, apparently. I'm very weak. <laughs> unfortunately. There's more serious examples of bad assumptions, dangerous assumptions. I assumed I left the handbrake on. I assumed you were doing that part of the project. I assumed he was safe. I assumed my health would hold up. I assumed. The most dangerous assumption, I think, is an assumption that many, many Australians make in our day and age is an assumption that when it comes to God, I'm fine. We're, we're okay. You know, mean God. Or more particularly, when Jesus returns with his kingdom and sets all things right, or when I die and meet him, it's going to be all good between us. I assume that. I wonder, do you assume that? Is that your assumption? It's all good between me and God. This um, passage is kind of a warning parable in many ways. Um, so it's pretty, kind of hard-hitting in some ways. And I th- we've, we've got it. It's actually a kind thing of God to, to give us this kind of this warning to just to wake us up and make us think, am I assuming things? Are there things I'm assuming and I actually need to rethink that? It's a very good thing to have your assumptions questioned. And that's what Jesus wants to do tonight. That's what I want to happen. That we'll question our assumptions. What's happening, I want to kind of zoom out of what's happening in this, in this little scene here so that we understand what's going on. Um, so, zooming right out. This is, is Jesus is in Israel. Um, he's one of the Jews, and the Jews are not kind of where they want to be. The world is not how they want it to be because they are under Roman rule. They are subjects. They are poor. It's not going well for them. They're not happy. But this is not how it should be because they are God's people, and, and God is God. He's the king. And he's promised that he will come back. The day of the Lord will come. He will take the throne. God will rule. And when their God rules, well, they'll get caught up with that. They'll they'll be blessed as part of that. God's people will kind of, it'll be good for them. 
Now, that's the hope. And, and right now, they're starting to think that maybe Jesus is the guy. Maybe Jesus is the king who's going to come and bring in God's kingdom. And that'll be good for us because we're God's people. We're the Jews. We'll get caught up in that, in God's kingdom. They're getting very excited because, uh, as we've been reading, Jesus uh, was in Galilee up north. And he's been traveling week by week as we're looking through Luke. He's been traveling south towards Jerusalem, the capital city. And at Jerusalem, it's Passover time. The place is packed with Jews. Nationalistic fervor is kind of at a high point, And they're all thinking, here it comes. Verse 11. As the people were listening to what Jesus had been saying, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. So you've got the expectation. We've got the scene. What's happening in the very next scene? You'll see the next heading. It says the triumphal entry. He's about to arrive. Expectations are high. What does Jesus say? What's he going to say? Now, many people uh, would say that what happens next is Jesus says, actually, I'm not arriving. The king's not arriving now. He's actually going away. So I'm the king and I'm kind of going away now. And I'm going to give you some minors. I'm going to give you things. And when I come back, I want to see you, that you've worked hard with those things. So in some ways, the message is kind of, Jesus is coming, look busy. Kind of. But I don't think that's quite the focus here. There's truth in that, but I don't think that's primarily the focus of this parable. Because actually, the whole message of the storyline so far is the king's arriving. He's walking from Galilee. He's coming down to Jerusalem. The king's about to arrive. He's about to arrive. The triumphal entry, it's about to happen. What's going to happen when he arrives? It's about arrival. The kingdom is coming. And so what does Jesus do? What does he do with these expectations of the people? What's his parable about Herod or Archelaus all about? What's he trying to say? Well, I think the answer is this. I think what he's trying to say is this. He's saying to these people with their great expectations, don't assume. Don't assume that when the king comes, it's necessarily going to be good news for all of you. I mean, think about your history. Remember when King Herod Archelaus came on the scene? Do you remember that? Was that good news for everyone? I don't think so. Why do you assume that me, God becoming king, why do you assume that's necessarily good news? Some people um, recently um, have been looking forward to the Obama presidency being over and thinking whoever comes next, it's going to be better. This assumption, it's going to get better. Rash assumption, I think. Too early to call it, but I think probably a rash assumption. For some people, Trump being president is going to be a great thing. I think the president of, of it, uh, who was it, Argentina, has already been in touch. They've been making some deals. Might go well for him. Other people, maybe not going to work out so well, Trump being president. The poor, the immigrants. So basically, same idea. We shouldn't assume that a new king, Jesus becoming king, is necessarily good news for everyone. It might be. It might not be. It depends, doesn't it? It depends on your attitude to Jesus and your actions. That's what I want to look at now. Your attitude and your actions. That's what I think this parable is all about. So first, the attitude. Look with me at verse 14. We'll see the attitude of some of these followers towards the king in our story. 
Verse 14, his subjects, sorry, his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. It's their attitude towards the king. It doesn't end particularly well for them, does it? But that's their attitude towards the king. And I think Jesus is kind of saying, well, not everyone in Israel actually wants God to be the king either. Don't assume that God becoming king is going to be good for everyone because many of you don't want him to be king. How do I know that? Because you don't want me to be king. As he's been traveling from Galilee down to Judea, down to Jerusalem, many people, especially the religious and the proud, have rejected him. They're saying, why are you assuming that when God becomes king, it's going to be good news for you when you're not even accepting me, the king? It's not going to be good news necessarily. And that's seen in their actions as well. The attitude is expressed in their actions. See, some of them have a right attitude towards this king. And they, well, they seek his business interests. So in the story, we've got this master who goes away to become king. And as he goes, he gives a minor to each of these ten slaves. Um, Hence the parable of the ten minors. Which I don't know about you, but whenever I hear that, I think of little dwarves with pickaxes. Mining. Anyway, maybe it's just me. Um, it's my brain doing strange things. But, but um, he's given these, these, sorry, a minor just to explain. It's, it's not a, a dwarf with a pickaxe. It's about $30,000. So it's a fair, fair chunk of money. And he gives this minor to 10 of his slaves and he says, what does he say? Let's read it. Verse 13. He called 10 of his slaves, gave them 10 minors, and told them, engage in business until I come back. Okay, so he comes back, and then the slaves begin to present themselves before him and tell him about how business has gone. The first one, verse 15, uh, sorry, 16, the first came forward and said, Master, your miner has earned 10 more miners. That's pretty good. Well done, good slave, he told him, because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over 10 towns. That's a pretty good return, isn't it? You, know, you do business for your boss and he gives you a few towns to rule over. That's a good Christmas bonus, I think. It happens again in the next one. The second came and said, uh, Master, your miner has made five miners. So, uh, so he said to him, you will be over five towns. This is, this is very good. But actually, the focus of this parable actually then shifts. And, and the focus is really on this bad slave. This guy who's called an evil slave. This guy who just does nothing with what he's been given. Out of fear, he's disobedient. He doesn't even do the most obvious thing. Verse 23, why didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. If he banked it at these days, he wouldn't collect much interest, but something, you know, something. But he won't even do the most basic thing. He's not... He's not on board with his master's business interests. He's just not interested. He doesn't want to see his master progress at all. Now, the point is not, this is what Jesus is like. Be careful. He's coming back and he's harsh. Many of the commentators think that that's what's going on. And so they try really hard to explain how Jesus is not harsh. But I just don't think that's what the parable is saying. The point is, if you're not the king's business partner, if you're not engaged seeking his business interests, 
Why are you assuming that when he comes back, it's going to be good news for you? Why are you assuming? You see, for Jesus, in that context, in the first century, God has blessed his people Israel with everything. He's chosen them. He's loved them. He's made them his own people. He's given them his law and the prophets and the promises and everything. His presence in the temple. And what are they doing with that? Are they pursuing his interests? Seeking justice that it might roll like rivers? Doing good? Trying to make God glorified in the world? Is that what they're doing? You've read the Old Testament, you know the answer is no. And not even in his day. We've seen it in Luke, haven't we? With the religious leaders, are they seeking God's interests? Seeking justice and including the outcasts and bringing them in? Not at all. They're working much harder to exclude people from God's blessing. Jesus is saying, don't assume it's good news that the king is returning. I mean, this has been a familiar message in the Old Testament as well. The first reading, Amos 5, he's saying, hey, you guys who are saying, oh, the day of the Lord, bring on the day of the Lord. He says to them, really? Do you really want that? You're kind of sinning. You're not living God's way. You don't want him to return. You don't want him to return. It's not good news for you. And that theme in the Old Testament reaches its, its head here. When God's King Jesus turns up on the scene, And how do they respond to him? What's their attitude? Well, for many of them, it's a hardening. It's an, I don't want you to be king. For many of them, it's, I'm not going to seek your interests. I'm not on board. And so Jesus says, don't assume that when the king comes, it's necessarily good news for you. And friends, that message stands for us today as well. Uh, I've been working hard to try to to, to convince you that actually this message, first and foremost, was for when Jesus turned up in Jerusalem, when the kingdom came in that sense. But, But it's also true to say that the kingdom has not yet come in a sense, isn't it? The king has come. Jesus has come. Jesus is coming. So in many ways, it's just as true for us today, isn't it? The same thing is true. We mustn't assume that Jesus' second coming is going to be good news for all of us. We shouldn't assume that. It depends on our attitude and our actions. So how's your attitude to the Lord Jesus? Do you welcome him as your king, your king over you? It's a big question. I just uh, did a talk, as Justin was saying, we were down at Greenway today. I gave a little talk from the Christmas story about the wise men and Herod. The wise men welcomed Jesus as their king. Herod threatened by Jesus' kingship, tries to kill him. What's your attitude towards Jesus? Do you welcome him as your king, your Lord? Many of us, I think, have just been making assumptions about God. Some of us assume um, that, you know, because we call ourselves Christians, we're okay with God. God doesn't really care what you call yourself. Many of us think, uh, kind of assume that because we do religious stuff, we go to church, read the Bible, you know, we give to charity, that we're okay with God. It's not necessarily so. I meet people um, who tell me, uh, if God is good and he's powerful, he should get rid of everything bad. Yeah, it's, that's a fair call. But, but that would mean he'd get rid of you <laughs> because we've all got bad in us. 
But they've been assuming, you see, they've been assuming that they're not bad and they've been assuming that they're good with God because they're not bad. Friends, this is, this is an assumption. It's not true. The question, the big question is that Jesus wants us to get to is, do you want Jesus to be king over you or not? Do you accept him as king or not? Now, I've got to say, the older I get and the more I see of the world, the more I long for Jesus to be king. Because he is a wonderful king. He is not like the king in this story in many ways. He is about to come into Jerusalem as king, riding on a donkey, humble. He weeps over Jerusalem, chapter 19, verse 41. He will die for those in Jerusalem who've rejected him. What a good king. What a good king. I long for him to be king of this world and more and more king over my life. I look forward to that. He's a good king. But friends, he's not a weak king. If the subjects in this story who didn't want Jesus to be king ended up like they did, what will happen to us if we reject Jesus? Verse 27, bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. Now, this is a picture. It's kind of a parable, but it's not going to be any better for those of us who reject the king. We mustn't assume. Friends, God's given us these moments tonight to, to think and, and just, am I assuming? Ask yourself the question, am I assuming or do I really acknowledge God as king, Jesus as my king? And then it's not just our attitude towards Jesus, it's also our action. Um, I want to be really clear here that it's not our actions that put us in God's good books. Not at all. It's acknowledging Jesus as king that, that makes us right with God. But that's got to be expressed in our actions. So Jesus calls us to get on board with his business interests, if you will. You see, everything you have, friends, everything I have has been given to us by God, hasn't it? Our time, our energy, our days, our money, our skills, whatever it might be, he's given it to us. Just like the master gave that, those miners to each of his slaves, question is, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with those things? Are we going to seek his business interests, his kingdom, or not? Which of these slaves are we going to be like? I tell you, I do, I do not want to stand there on the last day when the king returns and have him say to me, what did you do with the stuff I gave you? And for me to go, uh, I don't know. I guess I just used it for myself. We want to be like these other slaves. Take what we have and use it for the kingdom. Or be like Zacchaeus. We've just, there's a story of Zacchaeus just came before this one. Zacchaeus met the king, the Lord Jesus, the gracious king. And then he was straight away, he was like, what have I got? What have I got? I've got money. I'll use that. I'll give money away. I'll give it to the poor. What, what have you got, friends? Time? Money? Skills? We've got this guy called Jim Becker. He's a printer. He runs a printing press. He prints most of our stuff for church very, very cheaply. Because that's what he's got. He offers it for the king's work. Because the king's coming back. Got a girl called Amy Brown in at the 3.30 service. She's got a position in, I can't remember what you call her, work line, something like 
social infrastructure or something. Anyway, she gets paid a lot of money and does good things. Um, But what she's tried to do with her influence and her position is to try to push for change in youth homelessness. Now, I couldn't do that. But she's been given a position by God, and she's trying to use it for good. I met this other guy. He's a foreman on a building site. So what does he do? Well, one of his authorities is he controls what music is on. So he always puts on Christian music with sometimes sermons. I think that might. I don't know what it does to the work rate. I don't know. But what have you got, friends? Where's God put you? What's he given you? Now, in case you're thinking, oh, Jesus just wants me to go to work. Oh, he's so demanding. I sometimes feel like that. In case that's you, and and for my sake, let's just pause for a second and remember the reward. I mean, I mean, how is that? How's the, how's the exchange rate here, or the return rate, the investment, the rate of, rate of re- return on the investment? Right, one miner. The first guy has one miner. He makes it into ten miner. That's pretty good. Thirty grand, three hundred grand, and what does he get in return? Ten towns. I mean, how do you even calculate the miner value of a town? It's absurd. It's completely disproportionate. This is a consistent kind of message in the New Testament. Firstly, one of the messages, when Jesus is king, we will reign with him in eternal glory. I mean, that is, that is just crazy. I feel weird just saying it, right? I, you, will reign with Jesus in eternal glory. That's, does that just sound weird to you? It does to me, but it's, it's, it's what the Bible says. So we've got to say it. We've got to believe it. This is our future, friends. Unbelievable. And the second way this is just a consistent New Testament message is that it's just so undeserved and so disproportionate. Such a small amount comes from my end, like the way I seek to serve Jesus and see his kingdom advance. So small. What comes from his end? It's just completely disproportionate. Just so gracious, this king of ours. So friends, don't, don't fear. Don't fear that when, when you give yourself to serving the Lord, somehow you're going to lose out. You're going to miss out. Don't become weary in doing good as if somehow, oh, I'm laying my life down and that's it. That's all there is to it. Yes, you're laying your life down, but the king's done the same and he's got a reward for you. We've got a wonderful king, a good king. So let us be those first servants, those first slaves who hear from the master upon his return, well done, good slave. Rather than hearing what the other hears, take the miner away from him, give it to the one who has ten. I tell you, Jesus says, that to everyone who has, more will be given. Everyone who has, because they have been serving the Lord, more will be given. Loads more. Loads more. Because our God is very, very generous. But here's the question. The question from this parable is, are you making an assumption? Friends, is he really your king? Are you seeking his kingdom interests actually with your actions or not? Are you just making assumptions? 
Uh, I know some of you, uh, I've known some of you for quite a while, and I'll tell you for some of you, I don't know where you're at with the Lord. I can't tell looking at your life. 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. We don't always want to be introspective, but there is sometimes, it's sometimes good to pause and reflect. Am I making assumptions here? Am I legit in my faith? We're about to take communion. In fact, I'll invite the band up because we're about to take communion together. But Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians in reference to communion effectively. He says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So a person should examine themselves. And then in this way, they should eat the bread and drink from the cup. So friends, I want to give you 30 seconds to just pause and reflect. Are you making assumptions? Is Jesus really your king? Is that expressed in your actions? And then uh, we're going to sing a song. Uh, Bread and juice are going to be passed around while we sing. Please, if Jesus is your king, gladly take some bread, take some juice. And after the song, we'll eat and drink together. So just hold on to them for the song. So take 30 seconds and these guys will start playing in a few moments.